welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. After an interesting summer hiatus, Tina and I are finally back. She is doing well in her recovery from cancer. I have finally moved, although my other house hasn't sold. We're, we know it's going to happen at some point and um, been preparing. I just got back from vacation and I'm preparing for my book launch, which is August 1st. So as soon as I have the pre-order link, I will make sure that that gets in the show notes. Hopefully it'll have it by the time this is posted. Anyway, so that's a quick update on Tina and me. Uh, Tina got a new car. She is truly a dog owner now because she got a car to fit her dog. And um, if you haven't done that yet, trust me, if you have dogs long enough in your life, you will do that. I have done that for sure. The people at CarMax thought Christopher and I were insane because we just kept opening the back of vehicles and getting the measuring tape out and then closing the vehicle and going on to the next one. Yeah, that's kind of what we did at the Subaru dealer. So. Anyway, so we're back and we're ready to roll and it's just after the 4th of July. So we wanted to talk about three summer things. The first one is uh, kind of a recap. How did your 4th of July go? And if it didn't go well, what do you need to think about in preparing your dog for the New Year's extravaganza of fireworks and or even for next year? Sometimes if you plan enough ahead, you can really make sure your dog is prepared for next year's 4th of July, and they're not freaking out. Did you know, I bet Tina knew this, more dogs are lost on the 4th of July weekend or the 4th of July than any other time of the year. They show up because they panic and they run and they show up in shelters. So if you lost your dog on the 4th of July, you're not the only one. Also, too, we want to talk about heat exhaustion and heat stroke an issue in the summer that we feel like you should be aware of so you know the symptoms and can prevent your dog from uh, developing either heat exhaustion and especially to prevent heat stroke. So with that lengthy and detailed and probably too much information about you and me, but you know, what the heck. Yeah, it's all right. Here we are. We're back. We're excited. Um, here's Tina Spring to talk to you about the 4th of July. All right. So I'm just going to do a quick recap of 4th of July. If you're like me, you got lots of calls, emails, texts, watched lots of social media posts about people being upset about the booms and fireworks. And I'm with you, right? I have I have two dogs who are sensitive to storms and fireworks and we have a plan and worked through it and, and everybody was fine. Mr. Needed a little extra support uh, last night and, you know, cuddled with dad and, and we're all on the mend today. But what I, what I often want to do is to respond to people and say, this happens twice a year. And if you live in Athens, Georgia or another college town that has an awesome um, or or even professional teams, when they win championships, there are fireworks over that too, right? Um, if you, lots of car races and with a big celebration of, of fireworks. So fireworks will like one, feel free to join your local political action committee to do what Italy's done 
and petition your community to get rid of the boom in fireworks. They do make fireworks that they didn't add the boom to. And I would love it if we could all just like find a medium ground where fireworks went off, but didn't freak out wildlife and sensitive individuals and dogs and cats and horses and dog trainers. Likewise, um, this is the world we live in and we're going to have fireworks. We're going to have thunderstorms. There will be, you know, depending on your municipality, the person who's celebrating a major achievement in their life with gunfire. Preparing your dog to be able to cope with that or having a plan for what to do when those things are predictable is an important part of owning your dog. And again, I'm all for the quiet fireworks. I wish we could move to a place in this country where that's what we do, but we're not there yet. So I have to prepare my dogs for the world we're in, not the world I wish we were in. So we counter condition fireworks. We also have found a setup here in the house that works really well. We play frequency adjusted music loudly enough that we can't hear the fireworks. Um, we deploy extra pheromone. None of our dogs have a serious problem with sound sensitivity. It's all relatively mild. So we're not having to medicate though. That is another option. Uh, and when I had a dog who was severely afraid for holidays with fireworks, we used to just put him in the car and take him for a ride out in the country so that he was away from all of it. And we didn't come back home until after those festivities were in theory finished. Um, he, I don't think he heard like neighborhood fireworks, but he could definitely hear the big ones. So Shorty and I used to go on a nice drive in the mountains. So um, if it didn't go great, you can work between now and the next fireworks on making that more comfortable for your dog and maybe remembering that everybody, like we don't get to control other people, but again, join that political action committee. Let's see if we can get boomless fireworks going because that would be good for everybody. Um, but until that day, we got to live in the world we're in and we have to prepare our dogs. So easy ways to do that is counter conditioning and desensitization, which is straight classical conditioning. It's super easy. And if you want help learning how to do that, reach out and maybe we'll do a whole um, episode on how to easily work sub threshold and help your dog become more comfortable. So hopefully the fireworks have all been used up and we can move on. Yeah. Well, I know in, in our neighborhood, we had, I feel like we had like three or four nights in a row of local fireworks of our neighbors putting it off. And then the little town did it. And then another town did it. And so um, it was, it was sort of, this continued disruption but uh clementine is a pretty dirty dog and while it was a bit upsetting to her basically if she could cuddle with us and have some treats um she was fine but that's not always the case and what i would say is counter conditioning and desensitization really does work but it's something you need to be patient with because it takes time because you want to work under threshold and not trigger your dog into having a panic attack. So understand that's why we're asking you to start now because we want you to have plenty of time to be able to do this effectively and not rush through it and try and get too much done too soon so that it actually backfires on you. I heard or December 30th got things to start. 
And and if you have if your dog is having a severe response, that means severe methods, right? Like you have to that's an awful problem to have. Um so being prepared, knowing that we all want to put off what's unpleasant, all of us. Uh this is less unpleasant than you would think it might be. And and most dogs are not severe. Most dogs are just concerned and we can help them feel better about it. So I'll hop down off my off my soapbox on that. But I did get a call last week from someone who canceled boarding with us um, because they were trying to exercise, take their dog for a walk in the heat and unfortunately made their dog a little bit sick. So that is part of why Julie and I wanted to talk about heat exhaustion and maybe even uh, heat stroke. Uh, I have had clients, sadly, who have had dogs that had heat stroke and changed them forever. Uh, and then I think Julie wanted to talk about water, too. What What is affectionately referred to as dry drowning? Is that what that's called? I, I, well, I don't. Yeah, it could be. But basically what it is, is uh, it's massive drinking of water so much so that your dog's electrolytes go completely completely and your dog can can die very quickly from massive amounts of water intoxication so one of the things that um, is recommended is that if you're playing with the hose with the dog don't point the hose right at the dog's mouth so that the water is shooting down the dog's throat make sure that the dog you're holding it so the dog is snapping at the water as opposed to putting his face right into the water because you don't want to overload him with water the other thing is to make sure that like if your dog, when I play fetch with Zuzu at the lake, I don't usually use tennis balls. I use flat toys or her bumpers so that it covers her mouth. So when she's swimming back to me, water is not excessive amounts of water not going into her mouth. And uh, when she does go for a tennis ball, oftentimes she will come up coughing because holding a tennis ball, water gets into her mouth and it goes down her esophagus. And she sometimes swallows some and sometimes she inhales some. So I try to use flat toys to prevent that excessive drinking of water. And the other thing we do is I make sure she gets out of the water periodically and she pees. I want to make sure that she, what water she's taking in, she's also getting it out. And so we take periodic breaks. She'll come out. I make sure she pees. We play fetch. We play on land a little bit till I'm sure that she's, she's okay still. And then we play in the water. But it's just being using some common sense in how you play with your dog with water to prevent something that can take your dog down in a matter of minutes. So that's kind of the water one. Yeah. And the, and the water one is tough, right? Because if you yes. have a dog, my experience is it's my my experience is it's usually high drive dogs. Yes, who, who I think so. Literally drink out of the fire hose. Um, and I think the average owner, um, I know I wouldn't have even thought about it. Like I would have been like, oh, the dog's just playing. But but they're, I mean, I'm not sure that that's really play. I think that's kind of more OCD stuff. But at least the, the dogs that I've experienced to have done that, I would not consider that play. I would consider that like a little bit of a compulsion. Well, that, that's why you also have to monitor it. So if they're going to, if they're like Rosie. Rosemary, my grand puppy, she loves to snap at the hose. Like when you, when you're, you, you'll spray the hose and she'll run after and she'll snap it and she'll jump at it and she'll, she just loves to play with it. But I never 
point it down her throat. It's always perpendicular to her mouth. And so one of the things you can do if the dog does go at it, then limit it. So it's just, a you know, like 10 seconds or whatever. You do it and then you stop so that you make sure that, that the dog is not inhaling or taking in a lot more water than it can actually absorb and make sure that it's still urinating. That's an important thing to remember. Have your right, dog I urinate. Wonder, I wonder if the splash pads cause the same problems. I'll have to ask Gina. We don't have one, but um, I know Gina has one for her dog, so I'll have to ask her. All right, yeah, so let's I don't talk know. a little bit about heat. We all know, in theory, like don't leave your dog in a car when it's hot. Um, and hot is a relative term. 70, it's my understanding 70 degrees in a, in a sealed up car is enough to kill your dog in. Not minutes. very long. Yes. Like because the heat builds up so quickly inside. It may be cool outside or feel cool to you outside, but the heat, especially on a sunny day, can build up very, very quickly inside a car with closed windows. And a car is got warmed up driving there, right? So it's off-putting heat from underneath as well, and it's rising into the cavity of the car. So uh, we, we all know that one, but there are some other, um, there are other things to remember. Now I will say, like, again, this kind of goes back to the boomless fireworks. I am one who would totally leave a car running with the air on and run in and do my errand, return my Amazon thing at Kohl's and then get back in the car with the dog there, but leave the vehicle running so the dog has air conditioning. I'm considering, especially with this um, new to me vehicle, it's not new, uh, getting one of those uh, RV monitors that monitors the temperature in the car so that you get an alert on your phone if the temperature is going up in, in the vehicle. That's cool. I need to research those. I heard about it from a bunch of people who do like rally and um agility and fast cat and other dog sports that one of the things they do is use utilize one of these temperature monitors to monitor their dogs when they're parked in the shade with you know uh easy up over them and trying to keep the dog in a fan and trying to keep the dogs uh cool so th- what was scary for the call that i got earlier this week is that some of the signs that the the owner was sharing with me that her dog was getting better. He had stopped panting. He was laying down napping. And it wasn't in this case, thank goodness. But those can be a sign that a dog is actually losing the battle with heat stroke. Especially dogs that are um, thick. Chunky. Chunky, like me. Like Clementine, who is very dense and stocky. She's like a potato. Yeah. I mean, it's like if Zuzu's angel food cake, Clementine's pound cake. Yeah, that's just, just, just she's just dense. And overstirred brownies. <laughs> <laughs> so I think before we drop, we, 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 we jump right to heat stroke, maybe we should talk about heat exhaustion. Let's build up to the really bad stuff. What do you think? Yeah, we'll, we'll build up to the <laughs> stuff. So this was interesting. In an, on an 80 degree day, the temperature inside a car can reach 100 degrees in 10 minutes. On a 90 degree day, um, it, takes, it can reach. Well, this is a typo on this thing because it says 30 minutes and that's it. No, no, no. That's a No, what it says is on a 90 degree degree day, it can reach 110 degrees in 10 minutes and 130 degrees in 30 minutes. 
Oh, well, that's not what it says on mine. How fascinating. Well, that's what it says on mine. Anyway, don't leave your car. Don't leave your dog in the car on a hot day. My limit is is 70 degrees, just so you know. So if yeah. it's 70 degrees, the dog's fine. If it's 71, we're done. Um, literally, that unless someone is staying in the car or the air conditioning's running. All right. Right. Uh, just simple things like just having your dog outside playing in the yard too long. Right. Can absolutely cause problems. Those of us who are motorcyclists have learned that we can get the trots from just getting overheated on the bike, which you wouldn't think would happen. Like there's air moving, but if the air is warmer than your body, then you're not cooling off. Even though there's wind moving, you're just driving around in a convection oven. So, uh, (laughs) and of course I always have gear. So I'm not not one of those people who um, rides without gear. So just being outside too long can start this heat exhaustion thing. And and I think it's easy for us to be like, oh, well, I'm on a Skype call, so I'm just going to put the dog out for an hour when we would not sit out there for that hour. And we're better at getting rid of excessive heat than dogs are. Um, and I'm not sure I would do that even um, with like a splash pad or a kiddie pool. I don't know that that's enough to really, truly keep your dog cool. Right. The other thing is, is, is that a uh, kiddie pool with a dog unsupervised, probably not the best thing because if the dog is going towards heat stroke or heat exhaustion and heading into heat stroke and they're lethargic, what if they lose it when they're in the pool? Right. So it's, it's something to be very careful with. Um, the other thing is, um, this is something we're, we're just extraordinarily careful about with, with um, our dogs, is we avoid walking our dogs during peak temperature hours. Our dogs do not, in the summer, do not get walked unless it's early morning or it's in the evening, like 8 o'clock. Um, and then one thing I would recommend that you do, this is a really simple test to find out whether or not the ground is too hot for your dog's paws. Put the back of your hand on the on the road surface on the on the sidewalk or on the road or on the rocks or whatever you can't leave your back of your hand there for five seconds ten seconds it's too hot for your dog because if it's burning the back of your hand it's going to burn the 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 pads on their paws and for example i don't know that there are absolutely days in georgia that first thing in the morning is still not cool enough and eight o'clock at night it's still 99 degrees outside Right. It's it's not right. appropriate for. So I do kind of like I do a lot of enrichment in the winter when the weather's miserable. I also this is the other side of the miserable coin where I take my dogs out and I go with them in the summer. And when I start to go, OK, this is ridiculous. It's too hot. We're going in. Right. We're not I'm not waiting. I'm not sending them out there alone. Um, because it is dicey. And my experience is that if that each time the dog gets stressed with heat, the response of their body gets faster and deeper. And so I think they become less resilient with additional exposures. So um, you, of course, want to keep your house cool that in, you know, in <laughs> well. Poor Julie doesn't have air conditioning anymore. Maybe she'll get it in the future. Um I don't think so because we don't have central heat either. We have radiant heat. Yeah, this is this is an 1810 house, but we do have a very cool basement. 
that there. we keep dehumidified and an air purifier going. So Clementine can always have access. And we spend the e- oftentimes we spend the evenings in the basement where it's nice and cool. It's, it's set up like a, uh, it's our TV room and game room and stuff. So there, is, there are plenty of cool places. And our house is double bricked. When they bricked it in the 1930s, they did a double layer bricks. And that makes a house a lot cooler in the summer and a lot warmer in the winter. So we have lots of fans moving and it's never terribly hot. And we do have window air conditioners. We just haven't put them in yet. My guess is, too, that the house is sited in a way to take advantage of natural wind and shade and those kinds of things as as well. Because it was just a lot of different. Right. There's cross ventilation in every room. Right. So you want to you keep your home cool if you can. Um, you also want to make sure your dog has enough water and board your dog when you're going out of town. Don't just leave them home. If your air conditioning breaks, guess what? They're stuck in a in a house that is relatively airtight and is trying to slowly become an oven. Uh, and if they're outside, then that's not safe for a whole host of reasons. But again, I, I would just I would board them. They'll get more attention and they'll be hopefully monitored uh, better. Uh, and then know your dog's medical history. So if you know that your dog has had an exposure to intense heat and didn't do well and struggled with it, um, if they're obese, if they have breathing issues, uh, if they're heart problems, heart problems. Those are all, just like people, those are all reasons not to try to exercise that dog outside and to maybe instead exercise the dog in the house. So this little chonky monkey of a sweet puppy, um, they really could have just played, he loves to play fetch. They could have played fetch in the hallway or in their basement and he would have been happy as a lark. They would have burned some calories. They would have hopefully been taking some weight off of him and not risking heat exhaustion for the humans or or the dog. I think one of the things that was really hard in Georgia this year was we had the most amazing spring ever. Like it was, the humidity was low. As a matter of fact, I just wrote dehumidifier on my list because I'll have Chris get that down from the attic. But we, we, it hasn't been humid. It hasn't been beastly hot. There's been a hot day here or there, but for the most part, we had a really, really pleasant spring. And all of a sudden, like, Somebody threw the switch and we have 90 degree heat. So, yes, that yeah, we had a great spring as well, and uh, it's gotten quite hot. the um, The other thing is I want to say is is be especially careful with the brachiocephalic dogs, the pugs, the boxers, the bulldogs that all have those little smooshed in faces. It's much harder for them to breathe, and the hot air and hot weather is especially difficult for them. So those are dogs you have to be particularly careful of in this hot weather because they cannot regulate their temperature nearly as well as dogs that have a regular standard snout. So yeah, when we had when Al was still with us, I used to just monitor uh, monitor his tongue. Did his tongue mm-hmm. change color? Did it stay pink? And he always stayed pink. His nares were really beautiful, so he didn't seem to have any problem with excessive heat. He'd be happy laying in the sun, and I'd be like, "Dude, you have a swish face. Get in the house." But he he seemed to tolerate it quite well. All right. So how would we detect heat exhaustion in a dog? What are some things that um, that families should look for? Uh, well, one of the things is excessive panting. If the dog simply cannot stop panting or has difficulty breathing, if your dog is panting constantly or faster than normal, 
They could be overheated. Uh, dehydration is a big one, which is why you want to have water, cool water, always available for your dog. Um, and that signs of dehydration can include a dry nose, visible tiredness, excessive panting, and sunken eyes. So those are two things. And it's kind of funny. In addition to that, they could have excessive drooling. Yes. Keep an eye out for uh, that. Or or make sure that, or the drool is thicker and stickier. Yeah. When we're getting dehydrated, right, we get a headache. Our stomach gets upset. Um, th- these are the same symptoms that dogs are going to have. They're just going to present uh, more obviously. All right. Your dog could run a fever. Uh, and so checking their temperature can be an important component part. One thing I would also recommend you do is get your dog's temperature when your dog is normal. So you know what your dog's normal temperature is. And it will be probably be right around 100 degrees. But you should know what your dog's normal temperature is. And anything over 103, you should be concerned. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. So um, also, I've heard, like, don't give them an ice bath. Like, don't try to cool them off too quickly. Right. Throwing them in the ba- in the bathtub and running cold water is contraindicated. So that can cause shock. Um, so it is important to use lukewarm water, not cold water. Um, I have read multiple times that the eating ice cubes thing has been debunked, that that's not, it doesn't actually cause any problems except potentially danger for teeth because ice cubes are really hard. Um, but I, I, that whole, like, don't give your dog ice cubes, I think has finally, we'll see. It'll yeah. wear its ugly head another day. Um, I would put them in front of a fan or even in a crate with a fan blowing on them. That can help them cool off and dry off. Especially if you have, if you, if you cooled them off with, so that you've gotten them wet with cool water, then the fan is going to be effective much more effective. So make sure that the dog is wet and cooled off that way, then put the fan on them because then you're going to actually have kind or it's not condensation, it's precipitation. Anyway, this, it's going to be much more effective than if the dog were, were not wet. And if the dog is drinking water and not urinating, you probably need to transport like you. Yes. For me, that would be a we are transporting. If if my dog is stumbling and disorienting, we're transporting. I'm not I'm not waiting. We're going to put the dog in an air-conditioned car. We're going to drive to an emergency vet, and we're going to get help right away. Um, you want to call your veterinarian as soon as possible. And again, even if your dog seems to be recovering, talking to your veterinarian is an important piece of monitoring your dog's overall health because damage that can be permanent can be done just from getting overheated. I was just going to say one thing that, that also, too, is, is a really quick and easy thing to check on your dog is the color of their gums. Look at your dog's mouth now and, and make a mental note about what their gums look like. Both of my dogs have bright pink gums, you know, but if they are red, gray, purple, or blue, this is an issue because your dog means it's probably that they're dehydrated and they need some help. So. That's a quick easy one because just lift the lip. It's an easy thing to take a picture with your phone. Yes. Either with a flash or without. I don't care. It's better without. Um, and then be able to have it to compare and contrast. Like that's an important piece. Right. 
And then you can also send the, and then if the dog is, is struggling and you take a picture of the gums are blue, you can send that to your vet say, this is right. what I'm seeing. Right. So because everything is a study of one, right? Like yeah. what's normal or typical for me is going to be different than for someone else. Um, if your dog loses consciousness or seems severely ill, vomiting, seizing, being disoriented, acting drunk, you need to immediately transport that animal to an emergency vet and get them what is potentially life-saving treatment. And it's important to understand that not all animals are going to recover from this. They may have permanent damage, even with veterinary staff, you know, doing everything they can to help them. So if your dog is collapsed, if they're vomiting, if they're um, panting very heavily or having difficulty breathing, if they're excessively drooling, um, you know that you have a, a pretty significant problem on your hands and we're moving from heat exhaustion or heat stress into actually heat stroke. And, and with heat stroke, you have a lot less time to to take action. You know, I really trust our listeners and our owners that they know their dogs. And if you're looking at your dog and you're thinking something's not right, trust your gut instinct. Yeah, transport, but trust your gut. If you're looking at your dog going, he seems a bit lethargic, then trust your gut and take care of your dog because you will prevent much further problems if you go, it's time to move on. It is time to do something for my dog. So pay attention to what normal behavior is. And when they go askew, it's time to take some action. Well, and it's one of those things. So, you know, we're talking to moms and dads with with kiddos and grandparents and all the things. This is where I get concerned about the people whose kids are old enough to be home during the day for the summer maybe with limited supervision, taking care of the dog or a pet sitter taking care of the dog or grandma or grandpa taking care of the dog. Lots of people, when the dog's being a nuisance, chuck them outside. Understandably, they can go be a dog and play outside and not, you know, mess up the Candyland game. But it means that that monitoring isn't necessarily happening. And it would be really easy to see one of my dogs laying under a tree in the backyard, snoozing, which they do regularly and not realize like, oh no, that dog actually is having a pretty significant problem, which is why Christopher and I have the, we go out with them kind of rule in the summer. Um, Christopher lived in North Carolina for a long time at elevation. It's much, much cooler. It's not as warm as it is here. And I, I do worry that it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty rough. All right. So you want to, if you see that your dog is having an emergency, you're going to move that dog to a shaded and cool area immediately. You're going to pour cool water over the dog, right? That's 15 to 16 degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. It's cool. It's not cold. And don't use towels. Like, um, towels can be placed under the dog, but not over the dog. You will trap heat, right? And then, again, in a true emergency, you're going to em emerge and pour water um, with over the dog and then get a fan on them to try to cool them off. Um, you want the dog to drink small amounts of cool water. So this is not a situation where 
the dog drinking, you know, three quarts of water is a help that actually will make potentially the situation significantly worse and more deadly. What's next on your list? All right. One of the things um, is that um, you continue to pour the cool water over until the dog begins to settle, but not so much that they start shivering because you don't want to then send them into shock the other way. But the other thing to remember is that dogs who have lost consciousness will stop panting and therefore will continue to heat up. And if they have a very high temperature, these dogs require urgent, aggressive cooling. So that's where you're going to keep your dog's head up, but get your dog into the bathtub with some cool water and, and you want to bring them around. But what you really want to do is try to avoid pouring water on or near your dog's head is that because you don't want them to inhale the water. And um, once the dog is cool, if you can, take them to the to the nearest vet. If things are going sideways, douse them in cool water, get them in the car with air conditioning, get them to an emergency vet as soon as you possibly can. Well, and I, I would like to ask, because I know we have a bunch of veterinarians who listen to the podcast. So I once had heat exhaustion at a racetrack. Um, I was nauseated. I was concerned I was going to pass out. I was unstable on my feet. Um, and so I started drinking like a Powerade. Um, and someone, I, so I got on a tram because I was trying to get back to my vehicle. Like I was definitely disoriented and altered. And I knew like, oh, I'm in big trouble. So I was trying to get to my vehicle to get to air conditioning without passing out first. And and the person next to me on the tram was a worker who worked at the track and was well aware of, he was one of the staff, he was well aware of what it looks like when someone is moving toward heat exhaustion, heat stroke. This is a track that gets pretty warm in Alabama. And he gave me um, two bags of potato chips for the salt, for the sodium. And believe me, I felt like hurling. I did not feel like eating potato chips, but I really do think this, the sodium was a huge help um, to keep me from getting sicker than I already was. So I'm curious uh, in, in like, we've got medical, we got medical people listening, please comment for us and let us know, like, is it worth, I mean, obviously we're not going to pour salt in a, in a dog, but are they somewhat similar in that, like, is water better or is cool Powerade or, or electrolytes better, right? Um, if, if somebody has potato chips, is giving the dog 10 potato chips helpful to that, to that animal? Are there some of those other things we can, we can do to help? I would be heartbroken um, to lose a dog over something like just heat exhaustion or heat stroke. It's, I, I know trainers who have lost animals um, where there was a malfunction with a vehicle and the car overheated and the dogs all perished. It was life altering forever. I have also had clients who I met with after heat exhaustion and heat stroke where they're completely stable ambassador for their breed dog had neurological damage that forever changed that dog in an incredibly negative way that we were not able to fix. And it, it altered the trajectory of that dog in that family's life forever. And I don't, 
I, if at all possible, we want to avoid that for all of us. Right, right. So um, what this boils down to is when it's really hot, take care of yourself and take care of your dog. Make sure that everybody stays cool and comfortable so you can enjoy the rest of your summer and have a really good time. So um, we're not trying to scare you. We just want to inform you so that you can make better choices for you and your dog. So with that, I would say have a very, very happy rest of your summer. Um, I'm going on, I have a, a family vacation next and uh, where we're going to a, a cottage. And um, my dog, Zuzu, is with her breeder for several weeks. And she is having a grand time swimming and playing with all her cousins. And she'll probably never want to come home. And Clementine gets the full attention of our very devoted pet sitter. He takes his responsibility to Clementine quite seriously and uh, is very, very careful with her. So I'm very lucky to have found a pet sitter who's an adult and who acts as an adult with my dog. Otherwise, she would probably get boarded. And then, um, let's see, then I'm home and helping Zuzu to settle back into her new environment. So... How about you, Tina? What's on your horizon? Um, well, right now we have a massive thunderstorm going on, so I'm grateful that Spectrum is keeping my internet connection up. Um, I I am just grateful to be continuing to recover and to start to feel more like me and get back in the in the groove of working and and doing the things I love to do. So I'm great grateful that um, it was funny, a friend of mine posted yesterday about how good it is to get a negative uh, mammogram, right? To get a mammogram that says you're good, everything's great. And I said, I will never take that for granted again. So um, if you haven't gotten your mammogram, get it, go get your mammogram. It's not that bad. And it's way better to catch cancers early rather than later. So absolutely. All right. And stay tuned because the Beast Keepers is coming out in August 1st, and we will certainly give you a, a link for that. So I'm very excited. We are so excited that um, Dr. Bob Glass from Texas is going to be a guest on the show soon, and he's going to talk about pythiosis, uh, which has been exploding in this country and is dangerous to man and beast. So I'm super excited that Dr. Glass is going to come on and and teach us all about this, this disease that, I don't even know if you can call it a disease, but uh, this situation that because it's rel it was always relatively rare and is now um, gaining momentum, that a lot of our vets are just unaware, owners are unaware. And so we're going to turn the light on and see if we can send that monster skittering back into the corners again and, and keeping our dogs and horses and cows and people all safe, both um, digestively and uh, even the skin lesions keep them keep them safer and from having awful awful outcomes. So um, I'm excited that Dr. Glass is going to come and. I am too. Yet another thing we can scare our listeners with. Yes. So we're going to be the <laughs> we're going to be like you're going to be afraid of everything. That's right. Well, we don't really want that. We just want you to be informed. We want you to be the best parent 
to your to your pooch that you can be. And so we want to inform you with as much information that we can to help you be the very best pet parent. So with that, thank you, Tina, for another great episode. And we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.